Let's go to Mark chapter 2, if you would. Mark chapter 2 this morning. It is a privilege to be back into Canada and uh, into the area and see the church here and meet um, several of you already this morning. And it's always been a privilege to be with your pastor. And I appreciate his spirit and encouragement throughout the years. Um, my uh, family was not able to make it. Maybe one day you can meet them. We have a very tight schedule at this time. And I was able to fly up yesterday, fly back tomorrow. Uh, but I have three boys, and uh, 19, 17, and 11. And my wife has uh, been married to me for 22 years. And most of my family has red hair or no hair. You can guess the ones who have no hair, right? Uh, but we have a wonderful family, wonderful ministry. Hope you'll be back tonight to see the video, and we'll explain a little bit more about what we do as a ministry if you're not familiar with it. Uh, but to put it in a nutshell, our ministry helps churches reproduce churches. Everything that God created that's a living organism, uh, He gave it the ability and the command to multiply and to reproduce. So uh, churches are no exception. Churches are a living organism. And aren't you glad about that this morning? Uh, this church is a live, living organism it's a spiritual organism. You, you didn't just come into a club or some type of association this morning. Uh, this is totally different than anything else. This is a living organism, local church. And, of course, Christ is the head of the local church, and he's given a commission to the body to go ye therefore and teach all nations and then to baptize those new believers. And baptism takes place in a local church. And so the commission from our Lord, is to go and evangelize areas with the purpose of starting local churches. And so our ministry helps establish churches. We call them reproducing churches or mother churches, reproduce baby churches. And it's been a wonderful privilege throughout the years to see what the ministry has been able to do through the Lord and how the Lord has prospered it. Now, last Tuesday on August 1st, the ministry started its 25th year, and the Lord has definitely been with this ministry from the beginning and continues to prosper our ministry. And with that in mind, we have uh, a lot to accomplish. A lot, God has put a lot in our plate and a lot of future plans. And with that comes the need of more staff, more people to help. And I want to kind of preach on that this morning uh, here in Mark chapter 2, we see a team of four individuals that accomplished something that would not have been able to get done without a team effort. So let's start with Mark chapter 2 and look at verse number 1. The Bible says, And again he, that's Jesus, entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noise that he was in the house, and straightway many were gathered together, insomuch that there was no room to receive them, no, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them. And they come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. When they could not come nigh to him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was. When he had broken it up, they let down their bed, wherein the sick of the palsy lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Drop down to verse number 11. Jesus said, I say unto thee, Arise and take up thy bed and go thy way into thine house. 
And immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went forth before them all, insomuch that there were there were no uh, there were all amazed they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, "We never saw it on this fashion." I want to preach a message simply on it takes a team effort. It takes a team effort. Let's pray and ask God to bless the message this morning. Father, we thank you already for a beautiful day. Thank you for the sunshine, the coolness of the air, the uh, the loss of uh, humidity that uh, that uh, can plague the summer. We thank you, dear Lord, for a church like this church, MIBC, that has been established here to reach this community with the gospel, but not only this community, but all of the world through their missions. And I pray, dear Lord, that this morning that you would meet with us in a special way. I pray that you would help us to take the thoughts and all those influences that we have, whether it be uh, things that we, we know that we have to do today or tomorrow or things that might happen and worries and concerns. May we take those and put those aside for just the next few minutes. Help us to have ears to hear this morning. Speak to our heart. Help us to have a heart that's tender to your word. And Father, we pray that you do a work in us and through us. And Father, we pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. I really appreciate what your pastor is about to do. Now, I don't know all that he's thinking or that his wife's thinking or or even what God has for them in the next year as far as all the specifics. But I do appreciate a man that's willing to follow the leading of the Lord when he could be staying right where he's at. I grew up in South Florida and South Florida is full of used to beings. You say, what's a used to being? Well, it's hard to pastor down there because we had a lot of people that moved down there to retire. And they would tell me all the time, well, I come from a church where I used to be a deacon. I used to be a Sunday school teacher. I used to go out soul winning. I used to go on a bus ministry or whatever. I used to. And so it's full of used to beings. The only problem is they weren't do it now ends. And you know, there comes a time in life where you realize, you know what? I have a decision to make. I can either, you know, just be comfortable in the direction I'm going or I can be sensitive to the Lord's leading and really do something that will help further bringing people to the Lord. And here in this passage, we see four men. They were on their way to see Jesus. They were on their way to see Him, hear Him, preach, maybe even talk to Him personally. I don't know what their goals were to get to this house where Jesus was speaking. And by the way, Jesus in this house was preaching the Word. You see that? Look at verse number 2. Uh, the last part of that verse, it says, And He preached the Word unto them. So they were on their way to hear and see and maybe even talk to Jesus personally. And they had a direction they were moving in. And maybe they wanted to get there early, to be in the front row or be up close or make sure they got in, you know, they could hear and see. But then something happened. And they had to change their direction. 
They still were going to hear and see Jesus, but now they were a little bit changed. They, they had to go a little bit out of their way. We're not sure how far out of their way. We're not sure how complicated it was to get to this man that had the palsy. But these four men, and by the way, we don't even know if these four men knew each other. We're not sure if they were doctors or neighbors or, or what to this man of a, uh, that had the palsy. We're just not sure. I, I like it that way. But God didn't give us that, that opportunity to know these men. What was it that caused these four men to change direction for the furtherance of the gospel? It was that this man had the palsy, and this man may not have ever been reached if it wasn't for these four men being sensitive to this man's need. You know, we all have that within us to have a heart of compassion. And if you're taking notes, the first point is simply this. These four men acted with compassion. This man with the palsy, if you've done any study on this at all, if there's really two parts to having the palsy. Once you have both symptoms, then it's really downhill. Well, the first symptom is, is simply that you lose all of your muscular uh, activity. In other words, you, you're not able to stand anymore. You're not able to lift your arms anymore. You're not able to lift your head anymore. Your, your muscle activity basically just shuts down in your body. The other part to having the palsy was eventually all of your senses would shut down. You wouldn't be able to feel anymore or taste anymore or your senses would shut down. And eventually you'd have to be fed uh, by someone else. Eventually you'd have to be taken care of. Eventually you'd be on a liquid diet and eventually everything would shut down to the point where you weren't able to digest food anymore and you would eventually uh, pass on. I don't know the state of this man with the palsy. I do know that he was in a bed. He couldn't get up. Uh, I'm, 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 I'm uh, thinking, speculating here. He wouldn't be able to get up and walk to see Jesus or maybe have a very difficult time to do that. But at least one of these four men knew that this man could not get to Jesus by himself. And so they went out of their way. And I believe that was an act of compassion. Uh, most of you don't know, I have one hand, I have four fingers on this hand. Uh, I w- these four fingers were together, they had to cut those apart and graft skin from my side. Uh, I was born this way, I, uh, my mother didn't take any drugs or anything like that. In fact, she was very, very healthy, uh, had a tremendous work ethic, uh, very healthy, uh, young, um, uh, but I was just born this way. The Bible says, uh, who hath made the blind, the lame, or the dumb, but the Lord. Remember, the disciples went to the Lord once and said, who hath made this man, you know, uh, 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 blind, and, and you know, what sin has he caused? And, and Jesus said, listen, it wasn't his sin, it wasn't his parents' sin, but it was just the way the Lord designed him. I remember I had braces on my legs when I was younger. I had to learn my, not sure about my feet, why I had braces, but, uh, had, I eventually got off the braces later on and, 
and really have learned when I when I was younger. I grew up on a farm uh, in Indiana before we moved to Florida. And uh, you know, when you grow up on a farm, uh, half my childhood, uh, when you live on a farm, you, your parents don't, for some reason, ask you to do things. They tell you to do things. So I was no exception. I had an older brother, and I just, you know, went and I, I just learned how to do things. And uh, really, through all my childhood, I loved sports. I played basketball on a team. I played football. I did, uh, I did golf. I, I did uh, bike racing for nine years growing up. You know, I was about 17. Uh, ride motorcycles. I did. There's only one thing I found out I couldn't do, uh, and I can do obstacle courses. Uh, my, my sons and I, we went to a, uh, a six-tier treetop obstacle course several years ago. And, uh, and, and did it all, finished it. My oldest son didn't. He got scared when he got about 60 foot up in the air. And, uh, but nonetheless, uh, when I was 21, I found out there's something I can't do. And I, I walked, I was at a Christian camp and I wanted to take one of their classes they had on sign language. And so I walked right in, didn't even think about it. Well, they started teaching and I thought, you know what? I, hmm, I don't know if I can do sign language. Uh, <laughs> But I do know of a, a deaf a pastor that grew up in a deaf family. He has a, a tremendous deaf ministry. And he said, you can do sign language even without any hands. It's just bigger circles and things. And I didn't know that. You can communicate. But nonetheless, uh, my brother, uh, this is the way God made me. My brother was fine physically. Uh, he three, he's three years older than me. Uh, mentally, he's not nearly as sharp as I am, you know, but... Uh, but nonetheless, he's three years older than me. Physically, he's fine. My younger brother died in the womb. My younger brother, Andy, was uh, he went full term. Uh, he was fine physically as well, but the umbilical cord got caught around his neck and died. So my mother, you know, had all these things happen. And I look at that and I say, you know what? That's all. We can't question God. Sometimes we do. But I can honestly say this morning that I never went through any periods of my life where I was depressed about how God made me. Um, I grew up with a lot of encouragement. I think that's one of the reasons. Uh, but I also learned how to overcome things. But this man with the palsy could not get to Jesus. When I was younger, I went to several surgeries, like I said, and then... Every year I would go to a hospital in the States. I don't know if they have them. Shriners Hospital, are they up here at all in Canada? Okay, well, Shriners Hospital is, it deals specifically with helping children like myself. And, uh, and, and it's free of charge to children. And so my mother took me to Shriners Hospital in Chicago uh, for surgeries. And then we went back every, every year until I was 18. And uh, one of the things when you go into a hospital like that for children... You go in, and, and I remember seeing kids that were a lot worse off than I am. Some with no arms at all, some with no legs, some with disfigured faces, some with, uh, some with issues that uh, they would never be able to run. They will never be able to uh, do many of the things that, uh, that we do on a regular basis. And you can't help but to go into a place like that and have... Compassion. You automatically, that God-given compassion, you automatically just want to go and help them. 
You know, if you're going to a restaurant today or maybe you're at a store or something like that and you and there's someone with crutches or a wheelchair and and you're about to open the door to go in, but then they're behind you. You know, it's just automatic. You just you have that compassion where you open the door and say, hey, you go first. You know, you you take the seat. Hey, uh, you know, you're you know, it's that compassion. I believe that that's what these four men had here. They were on their way to see Jesus. They were in one direction. They could have just stayed in that direction. They could have just went to the service. They could have got there early if that's where, if, you know, they want to get there and hear and see, possibly talk to Jesus personally. But then because they acted on compassion, they made a difference in a man with the palsy. And we're talking about this morning a team effort. And the world, reaching the world is much larger than just our area here. It takes a team effort to reach the world. It takes many hands. It takes many people praying. It takes many people giving. It takes many people going. But you know what? It takes everyone being sensitive to the lost and being having a heart of compassion to make a difference. Your pastor is moving into another role and I believe that's part of a being a team. I know our ministry needs the right team. Our ministry needs the right people to help fulfill the church plants and reaching Canada and having a burden for areas in Canada that needs more local churches. If there's ever a day and a time where we need more churches, it's today. Society is becoming ever increasingly secular uh, with the infiltration of other religions and everything else. Boy, we need to be a light and a salt in, in a dark area. And we need to see more churches started that will eventually reach these areas and build up people in the faith so that those churches can send out people and reach more areas. Boy, we need it now. Do we have a heart of compassion this morning? We live in a very self-centered society. You know, when I was a teenager, we... We'd always make fun of people who took pictures of themselves. <laughs> I just thought it was, you know, I'd have friends, you know, who worked out, you know, and, uh, you know, trying to build muscle and everything. Guy friends, you know, as teenagers, I'd go to their room. They'd have two or three pictures of themselves. I'd say, what is this? Oh, that's where I, you know, that's before I start working out. That's now. That's my, that's my bicep, my tricep, my back, and my, my, oh, that's my six pack, you know, that's my, that's my calf muscle there in that picture, you know, and they got all these pictures about how they're working out. You know, I always thought that was so funny, people would take pictures of themselves, but you know, we live in a selfie era. Where it's almost like, you know, we, you know, we, we have to take a selfie. It's very awkward to take a selfie. Unless you have a selfie stick. But then you're a nerd if you have a selfie stick. So what's the, how do you compensate for that? Well, you ask somebody else to take your picture, right? Then it's not a selfie anymore, right? Then it's pretty awkward if you ask somebody to take a picture of just you. Can you take a picture of me? Here you go. 
But we live in a day and time where it's self, 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 self. And if we're not careful, we'll be on our way to work. We'll be on our way to, to buy something at the store. We'll be on our way to wherever we'll pass people without ever giving a thought of their eternal soul. I live in Tennessee now. If you don't know anything about Tennessee, it's beautiful countryside, but it's a lot of country people. We call them hillbillies. We have a lot of fun in Tennessee. I'm not from Tennessee. I don't want to speak like a southerner. You all know what I'm talking about, right? I'm from Indiana. I'm a Yankee. I moved to Florida, which is a northern state. Florida is full of Yankees, people from up north. But where I live now in Florida, I pass right by, uh, going to our house, I pass by this old wooden, looks like it's going to fall over at any time, little house, little smokestack for their fire, and the outside looks like a junkyard. There's old cars and lawnmowers and washing machines, you know, it's just, it's just full of all this stuff. And there's a man that lives there, his name's Troy. Troy is a hillbilly. He has the overalls, he goes barefoot, and he has a beard that probably gets in in his way when he tucks his shirt in. (laughs) Troy is a hillbilly. And at first, when we were looking at buying a house on that road, I knew I'd have to pass his house every day. And I thought, you know what, maybe he'll move. Maybe one day somebody will buy all that and get rid of everything and build a beautiful home there. But then one day, God got a hold of my heart and said, you know what? Why don't you go witness to Troy? And so I had to take time and I, my wife and I, we baked some cookies and we went down and we witnessed to Troy and his wife and, uh, and from that moment on, we've had a great relationship. Troy hasn't come to church yet. Troy is born again. He hasn't come to church yet. But you know what? If, we, if we're not careful, we'll be looking at the sinfulness of people instead of looking at people that are trapped in their sin. And they need to be set free. And these four men went to this man with the palsy. This man with the palsy could not or probably maybe even would not at that time go to see Jesus. But what caused them to turn and go and get him? It was compassion. And compassion makes the difference. If this world is ever going to be reached, by the way, if your pastor moving into this direction of helping our ministry and helping others and, you know, and so on, it, he's not leaving his home and his church so that he can get rich quick. He's not. That's definitely not the truth. Uh, and he's not leaving because it's more comfortable. He's not. No, because what we do, we're in a different bed all the time. We're in different locations all the time. We're in. It's my wife's constantly, you know, if, if, if she's with me, has to say, well, what what stores are here? What do they sell? You know, it, she's not settled like some, most wives are. It, it's a, our kids homeschooled on the road. That was uh, very difficult. Still do. 
uh, and it's it's not it's not a, a fun or elaborate thing to be constantly on the move. But I guarantee you this: if there's no compassion there fueling that, it's not going to get done. Because there are some days where you wake up and say, you know what? I don't really want to be in this city. I don't really want to be here. I'd much rather be back home with the hillbillies. But you know what? These people need Jesus here. And compassion fuels a commitment. And that's the next point. These four men not only had compassion, but they had commitment. Now look at verse number four. Uh, verse number 3 and 4. And they come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. That is, they was carried of four. And when they could not come nigh to him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was. And when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. These four men not only went over and thought about this man with the palsy, but they decided to act on it. They didn't just say, hey, I'll pray for this man with the palsy. They said, you know what? We're going to do something about this man with the palsy. We're going to, we're going to commit to getting this man to Jesus. And so they had to figure out how to pick him up. Who's going to be in the front? Who's going to be in the back? How are we going to carry him all four corners? What kind of bed or couch and other, 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 uh, in Luke it calls it. Well, how are we going to carry this? And uh, you know what? We may get our shoes dirty if we do this. We, we may start to sweat a little bit, perspire a little bit. Uh, we, might get, we might ruin our suit doing this. But you know what? When you have compassion on the lost, you're willing sometimes to do whatever the cost, whatever it takes to get them to Jesus. And so I don't even know if they even thought about it that much. They just went and they picked him up. And then they started carrying him to Jesus. Now, when they got to the door or got to the house, there were so many people there. They could not come nigh to him because of the press. There were so many people there. They, they could have stopped at that moment. In fact, the Bible says they could not. They could not. Has anybody ever told you that, well, <laughs> that person probably will never be saved? That country is so closed to the gospel, there's no way we can get in. There are countries around, especially in the Middle East, where they are definitely closed to the gospel. They are closed to missionaries. But when there's a commitment fueled with compassion, there's always a way. When I grew up, uh, my uh, grandparents were always an encouragement to me and they weren't born again. They weren't saved. I grew up in a very hard-working family, very moral in their own right. Uh, and uh, my grandparents were married for 73 years before my grandfather passed on. Very, very, very dedicated to each other, uh, very moral, uh, very hard-working. And they would always tell me, they'd say, you know, Jeremy, where there's a will, there's a, a way, right? Well, let's put it in the biblical context. God is not willing that any should perish. So let's put it in the biblical context. Where there is God's will, there is a way. 
And if God is not willing that any should perish, then there is a way to reach this world. There is a way to reach your neighbor. There is a way to reach your relative or your husband or wife maybe that, that, that for years have said, I don't want to be saved. I don't want to go to church. I don't want any of that. My dad was that way. Boy, I, could, I didn't understand. Uh, something happened. must have happened to my dad when he was younger because as soon as I got saved and I began to talk to him about the Lord, boy, I saw, my dad became mean. Said, don't ever talk about God in my house. Don't ever talk about, don't ever talk about church. Don't even bring it up, ever. I waited several years and I began to bring it up again. He did the same thing again. But you know what? Eight years after I got saved, when my grandfather passed away, they asked me to do the funeral. And my dad broke at the funeral and he was gloriously saved right there at the funeral. Along with my uncle and about 21 others of my unsaved family, uh, there in Indiana. Here in this context, they got him, they got this man with the palsy to the house, but they could not get him in. Uh, they, they had to, they, they were puzzled. Uh, they had to, uh, stop for a moment. And I'm not saying there aren't, uh, I'm not saying there aren't any hurdles when trying to reach people, but I am saying this, there aren't any roadblocks in, in world evangelism. There may be some hurdles. There may be some times that we say, you know what? We've got to find a way. Dear God, help us to know the way. In fact, over in Luke, we won't go there, but the same uh, story over in Luke, it says they sought means by what way? In other, means, in other words, they worked together again as a team. And they sought means. Hey guys, do you know of any way? I mean, we, we're puzzled here. This guy got, has to get to Jesus. So somebody came up with the idea, well let's get him up to the roof. Now back then, the Jewish homes had usually a flat tiled roof. They had stairs that went up to the roof. Uh, we know that. There's several scriptures and proverbs that talks about going up to the roof. It talks about, uh, you know, the, the, that's where they would go up and pray and sometimes meet with the Lord and, Sometimes these homes were only one-bedroom homes or even one big room type of a home. How would you like that to grow up in? How would you like to go back today, back to your house today, and you have just one big room, maybe a small closet, just one big room? Boy, it's kind of cozy, <laughs> you know. Uh, so they decided, let's go up to the roof. And when they got up there, then they had to decide, okay, now we've got to uncover these tiles. I'm sure they asked, you know, well, do you think insurance is going to cover this? Do you think the homeowner would be okay with this? By the way, who has the tools to do this? Did you bring your tool sack with you? Probably not. They had to decide, okay, who's got the tools? Where are we going to get the tools? How are we going to break this up? How big are we going to make this hole? And then, do we have a rope? We've got to lower him down. Well, don't use my rope. My rope is brand new. Go get an old rope. That's that's what we would be doing, right? You can't use my tools. They're insured. You get, you know, they're uh, they, they they're warranted. You have to go get your tools. By the way, your truck's closer than my truck. Go get your stuff. No, I don't see that here. I just know they had to make a concentrated effort because time was running out. And by the way, time is running out. We're not getting any younger, are we? 
And if we think, well, we have time to reach this neighborhood, we have time. No, no, time is running out. Every second counts for the Lord. Every moment counts. It's expedient that we're, we're, we're going, we're advancing, we're advancing quickly. And so here they had to get the roof uncovered. They had to break through the tiles. They did that. And then they had to lower him down. Now, how are they going to do that? They had to engineer all of this. They had to think through all of this. How are we going to get this man lowered down to Jesus? If they have one rope, are they going to, uh, you know, t- how are they going to tie the corners? How are they going to figure this out? I, I, I'm speculating they probably cut the rope in half or had two ropes and they maybe put one around his knees, you know, uh, maybe just a, like a U-shape around his knees, uh, maybe under his arms, you know, if they put it around his neck, they're going to have to have two miracles when they get down there, you know. Uh, but they, I mean, really, they had to engineer this thing, and then they had to work together in unified spirit, in a unified way, to lower him down. You know, when you really think about this passage, it's a simple, sometimes uh, well-used passage, but when you think about all the details that went into this, uh, where would we fall short? Where would we just say, you know what, it's not going to happen? There's really no way. It's too much effort. If you think about it, there's just too much. Uh, you think about uh, planting churches and you think about establishing new works. And you think about the this work that was established. And you think about the time and the energy and the prayers and the money and, and everything that goes into it. And you say, well, you know what, maybe it's just too much. No, little is much when God is in it. God provides all the needs. And here they, they lowered this man down and they did it together in a unified spirit. They had compassion and then they were committed. Committed to finishing what they started. In this day and time, there's not too many people that are committed to finishing what they started. In the States, the average graduate of college spends about less a year and nine months, less than two years in the field that they just spent four years training for, and then they never go back to it. The average young person in their 20s right now uh, spends about two years in a job, and then they just switch jobs, and then they switch jobs again, and they switch jobs again. I'm not saying that you shouldn't switch jobs. What I am saying is this. Where are the people, where are the Christians especially, that say, you know what, I'm going to stick with it, whether it's difficult or not, whether I, I, I get out of, uh, whether I can't, I don't think I can make any more or not, I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to be committed. And here in this passage, they were committed till they got this man, Jesus. Then the third point will be finished is simply this. They had complete faith in the Lord. They had compassion. They were committed. And then they had complete faith. Look, if you would, in verse number five, when Jesus saw their what? Faith. He said unto the sick of the palsy, son, thy sins be forgiven thee. If you look in verse number 11, it says, Jesus said, I say to thee, arise and take up thy bed and go thy way unto thine house. Do you notice something here? Jesus did not heal this man physically until he healed this man spiritually. And isn't that the greatest need? 
I have unsaved family, and when I say I'm a missionary, their immediate thoughts are, oh, well, then you send food to the poor and needy. And although that is commendable and that is needy, if somebody is in need of food, I'm going to get them food. That is needy, isn't it? But isn't the greater need that they come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, that their eternal soul is a greater need than even their hunger for physical food? Certainly. And those two can work together, I understand. What I'm saying is this. In this passage, the greatest need was for this man to be saved. And Jesus saw their faith. I'm going to say something. I don't want to be misunderstood. These four, these four men, or excuse me, this man with the palsy was born again. He was saved. He had eternal life. Not through the faith of these four men, but because of the faith of these four men. In other words, if it wasn't for these four men and their action of faith, this man with the palsy wouldn't have been gloriously saved. I remember when I first received the Lord, I was the first one in my house, my extended family, and I looked back all the way to my great-great-grandparents. I don't know of anyone else in my family that was ever born again. I was 18 years old, just graduated high school, uh, was uh, invited to an independent fundamental Baptist church. It was a church plant. It was 10 years old. And uh, they were just getting into their, their just about 80 people. I mean, just growing a little bit. And I remember being invited to that church. And I came in and I remember uh, I didn't understand a whole lot. Uh, I did, I've never been in church before. But I heard preaching on salvation. About six weeks after going, I realized that I needed to be saved. I remember walking down the aisle and meeting the pastor. And, and uh, he took me aside to another man. And that man led me to the Lord. Boy, I was saved. It was wonderful. It was. The next week, I was, uh, I was baptized and, you know, was taught about baptism. I said, well, I need to do that. Then I got baptized. And then I joined what we had on Thursday nights. It was a soul-winning training. And so what we would do is we would meet at like 7, 7.30. We would spend a half hour, 45 minutes of memorizing scriptures. We had an outline of, of verses and illustrations that we were memorizing. Had a sample prayer at the end. And we had to, we, over the course of 10 or 12 weeks, we had to memorize this. And we would go out uh, every Thursday night for about an hour with a partner, someone who was a trainer. And we would go out and we would witness to people. And then we would come back at 9 o'clock and give her a short report of what happened. And we would pray and be dismissed. Well, our pastor put me right in that program. Probably the best thing ever happened to me. Went right into that. Right, Two weeks old, uh, spiritually old, went right into that. One of the homework assignments was to take that outline that we were memorizing with all those verses and everything and find an unsaved person and ask them to help you memorize it. I had no idea why we were supposed to do that. I just said, okay, pastor said it, I'm doing it. So uh, the only person I could think of was my mother. And so I went home, I gave it to my mother, and I said, uh, Mom, I said, I'm memorizing the, this for church. Can you help me? She said, sure. So we sat down. I'm going through this. 
And about halfway through it, my mother begins to cry. Now, remember, my mother was of German background, hardworking, hardly ever cried, you know, uh, tough, um, yet yet gentle mother. And uh, she began to cry. And I, I looked up and I, and I knew she was crying. I said, Mom, what, what, what are you crying for? She said, well, does this mean that I'm not going to heaven? And I said, I, said, I mean, it just dawned on me what was happening. And I said, well, yeah, Mom, that's, that's what that means. And then she asked classic questions. She said, well, what do I need to do to know for sure I'm going to heaven? And I said, well, that's next on the outline. We're going right down. <laughs> I said, it was, a, it was really a beautiful, wonderful thing. And uh, I remember leading her to that prayer. And I told her, I said, you know, the prayer doesn't save you. I knew that much. I said, but it needs to be a personal decision. And, and she, right there, I mean, just transformed. Was Really was saved, born again. She was baptized. She taught Sunday school for about 17 years. And then when I went and planted a church 30 miles south of that church, she went with us and made that she traveled every week, every service to be a part of that. And a wonderful story. But I remember, though, there were people, as soon as I started going to church and I got saved, the pastor and other people began to pray for my family. And every, when I went back to church and my mother went and she was baptized, you know, and people in the church were rejoicing because they had been praying for my family. When my dad received the Lord, the church rejoiced over that. When my brother got saved, and it's a miraculous story that I don't have time to say, but when my brother got saved, they rejoiced over that. Why? Because the, my brother and my mother and my dad and several in my family, they didn't get saved through the faith of the church people, but they were saved, I know, because of the faith of our church. How many people that you don't even know, the missionaries that you support, overseas, places that you'll never go, how many of those people are receiving the Lord because you're praying faithfully that they'll receive the Lord? As your pastor goes out and ventures into a different ministry now and, you know, in, in, in a very short period of time takes that step of faith to go out and help, pray for your pastor. That he'll see fruit. You may never meet. You'll get you'll get testimonies from your pastor. Hey, you know this person was saved, and this church was established, and this missionary was encouraged, and and so on. And you may never meet the people that he meets, but without your prayers of faith and commitment, you those people may never receive the Lord. So it's a team effort this morning. It's those that are going to go. It's those who are going to pray. But everyone has to be committed with a heart of compassion to see the gospel advanced all over this world. Would you be that person this morning that would say, you know what? I just want to be part of the team. I just want to be part of what God is doing. Ask God to first of all give you a heart of compassion for the lost. Secondly, commit to doing whatever God wants you to do to help reach the lost. And then thirdly, pray and ask the Lord to save the lost for your missionaries, 
for our ministry, for your pastor, for those you know who are witnessing to others around you, pray for them that they would see fruit. And through your faith, we could see many, many souls come to know the Lord.